This is The Definite Article, a show about creativity yesterday, tomorrow, and today. the definite article. I'm Robin Babb in Chicago, and as always, I'm joined by Justin Jacoby Smith over in D.C. How you doing, buddy? I am good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm <laughs> mostly moved into my new apartment here. Nice. Which is more or less the reason uh, why this episode is so late. Sorry. Sorry, Robin's mom. Yeah, sorry, mom. I literally just got internet connection. Like ten minutes ago. Just now. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm excited to to help to help uh, break in your new internet connection. This is this is good. You gotta widen out those neural pathways and the optic cable fibers. <laughs> like a pair of jeans, you know. You got you gotta just do. We gotta just broadcast continuously for two to three days, so that you know when we when we take it off the air, then your internet cables will be nice and and roomy. Right, and like jeans, you really don't want to wash your internet too often. <laughs> no, you don't. You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have some some color bleed if you do that, and yeah. gonna, you know they're gonna uh, not gonna keep up well if you do that. Yeah, I, whew, man, I was inches away from a like a dryer and tumbler joke, <laughs> but. It's, it was a pointless and nonsensical thing to start with, anyway. So can, let's go ahead and move on from that. <laughs> let's, I, can, I can, you know, I kind of get where you're, where you might be going with that. We'll see. We'll see if we can circle back to the dryer and the tumbler. It's, so yeah, so you're in this new place, right? It, mm-hmm. And this is you're in this new place, and on top of being in the new place, this is certainly not the only change you've had to deal with in the last. It's since we recorded our last program. Is that right? Yeah, this is this is true. Um, Multiple uh, transitional thingies. Uh, had a birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Yeah. Yay! Happy birthday! Woo. Woo. Had a birthday. My folks came into town, or yeah, my uh, my whole family. My folks and my brother came into town. In addition to that, I got fired from my job. Do what? So this it's okay. This is the job I didn't care about. So because we talked about this very briefly uh, last week, mm-hmm. but you didn't characterize it at the time as I as I got fired. You characterized it as well. I don't really want to work here anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, and, fired fired is kind of the shorthand. Uh, mutual agreement, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Was, no, I I know, was, know that very well. Yeah. Well, and so I know that. Because of that, you you decided that you wanted to talk about the idea this week of you know of transitions and kind of kind of when it's time to stop something because that's one of the things that we talked about last week when when we discussed that the mutual agreement that you and your your former employer had come to. Mm-hmm. Um, it, one of the things that we talked about then was that you had already felt before they told you that you know that you had to go. You you already felt like it was time to go. You already felt like the time had come, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I kind of had um and uh you know this was not a bad job, not you know morally offensive or any uh, a little a little bit morally offensive. But L- like uh, all jobs. Like like all jobs a little bit morally offensive. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit morally offensive. Um 
but no, it was it was it was not awful to be at every day, but it was not what I wanted to be doing with my life. It's a little unfortunate because that was certainly the most uh, stable form of income I had. But hey, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> part of uh, part of transitioning, I think, is taking a little bit of a risk. I'm doing that. I've got a couple other worky things going on that hopefully will keep me from starving in the next couple of months. Which would be ideal, you know, to, to be able be to ideal. avoid starving. Yeah, um, you know, that's that's always the dream. Well, so to the point that you are sort of in this uh, so, sort sort of in this moment of transition I, I i did a lot of kind of digging around once you had thought about the the suggestion that we could sort of touch on this topic right of transitioning and and being ready to move on i kind of i kind of dug around and and uh did some reading and and uh, talked to some folks and, and thought about some some things that that have occurred in my life in the past and i was really sort of pleasantly surprised to find that throughout the creative field, an awful lot of people have done an awful lot of thinking and an awful lot of writing about when it's time to end something, when it's mm-hmm. time to, when it's time to move on, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I was, I, and, and of course, you know, once you put a half second thought into it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Of course, a painter has to think about when is the painting done? Or of course, a poet has to think about when is this line of poetry done? You know, when do you move on to the next line? When do you move on to the next painting? When do you move on to the next job? When do you move on to the next project or phase of whatever it is that you work on? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I thought it was really instructive. And I, I, I hope that this sort of speaks to the, the larger project of what we're trying to do here. Because I think in reading these different pieces of advice that these different creative people were able to give about when they end various phases of what they're working on, I got a lot out of it. You know, I, I got a lot out of reading about what James Willis said about when it's time to end a painting, when it's done. I, I pulled up some some stuff for the show notes here that I'm pretty excited about. I don't know if you had a chance to, to take a look at all of these or a few of these. Yeah, despite, despite the lack of internet, I managed to get enough coffee shop time to super, super good stuff. The, the idea of referring especially to a painting I think is really useful just because a painting or a piece of art is something so um, physical and understandable uh, and and so at least in you know my my layperson's mind is so definitely finished or unfinished I, I don't really have a concept of what that kind of zone of limbo would be like well, you know, it, what I thought was inter- interesting, and this is, by the way, for, for, for people that are uh, your mom that's listening to the program, mm-hmm. um, it's the, where you can find all of these these articles that we're about to begin referencing just mere seconds from now is uh, you want to go to it's hustine.net slash def art slash four. Uh, it's uh, hustine.net slash def art slash four, which is the number of this episode. And yeah, so this this article that we're talking about, the the painting one in particular, it's it's called Calling a Painting Done. Uh, and in the piece, he interviews a number of artists in New York to, on the question of when a painting is done. And there was one line in particular that jumped out at me uh, from this guy who admittedly, you know, I, I 
don't know this guy's name. Maybe, maybe he's maybe he's a big deal in certain circles in New York. Maybe nobody's ever heard of the guy. Um, <laughs> but there's there's a guy named James Willis, uh, and he, you know, in answer to the question of how you know when a painting is done, he says they're never done. There are just levels of done. Uh, right. And that the first thing that connected to for me was back when I was. Uh, back when I was doing newspaper writing for like my school papers in college and 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 all the that kind of early you know the, the early days of of Houston, um <laughs> back in those early days, one of the things that they really worked to hammer into me when I was pursuing the the journalistic mode, they said a piece of writing is never finished; it just meets deadlines. You're never you're never done with something that you're working on; it just meets a point of completion that satisfies you. Right. That might be part of what this guy James Willis is, is touching on in this piece when he says that there are just levels of done. You know, it's never finished in a final sense. It's just you're done with this with this part. You're done with this with this portion of this piece, and you're gonna move and you're prepared now to move on to the next thing. Whether that means uh, another painting or another or another phase of what it is that you're working on, it's just you reach a point where you recognize that you are done with this particular section. You know. Mm-hmm. And you're and you're prepared now to move on. And it sounds to me like that's the attitude that you had with this, you know, place of employment most recently. You had come to the conclusion already that you were done, that you were done with this level, that you're ready to move on to something different that's going to challenge you in a different way because this wasn't doing that anymore. Yeah. In the greater uh, masterpiece that is my life, I I think that one of the most valuable things I took from this from this Daniel Grant piece um, was one of one of the other painters he talks to says uh, that he only knows a painting is done when he can become the audience, um, mm. which which I think you know if I can read into that a little bit is the ability to kind of step back from whatever uh, whatever work whatever creative work whatever job or anything you're looking at and, and have an outside perspective on it and not look at it as its creator, but more as kind of an audience. And um, I think that that certainly happened to me. I could see fairly objectively that uh, that this work wasn't cut out for me uh, and, and was okay with that. Uh, and similarly, I think when you're creating something there, it is really difficult to know when a thing is done but once you can take that more objective kind of audience perspective on the thing, I think that's a pretty good sign that you're getting at least near done. Right. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I think that being willing to, to step back and get that more objective viewpoint is, is key. And that, that touches on, on another one of the articles that I, I highlighted here from from art, artists and illustrators, uh, it's another sort of how to know when your painting is finished piece where she's giving advice to other painters about a good set of, of questions to ask yourself in order to determine if you're really done with something. But But even before, I think, you know, before people get to the point of, and I think, gosh, becoming the audience and, you know, obtaining this objective standpoint, I think is a, is a really interesting idea that hadn't really occurred to me. But I think in order to do that, in order to be in a position where you can objectively evaluate something, I think it helps also to get an internal sense of of why you like don't go because you're frustrated at a lack of. I say don't go. You know, I mean, don't 
leave the painting, don't walk away from the poem, don't leave the job because you're frustrated at a lack of progress. You know, don't don't let your frustration get in the way and blind you from what the real problems might be. Mm-hmm. You know, if if you're sitting if you're sitting at your job or you're sitting at your at your easel and you're and you're mad because you feel like you're not getting anywhere, don't let that anger be the thing that propels you away. If you want to throw the manuscript in the fire because you're angry, okay, but figure out why you're angry. You know, because if you're if you're not careful, you're going to end up with a fireplace full of full of overflowing ashes of poems, and you're not going to know why. You yeah, know, you're not, you're not going to be able to, to to make anything until you figure out why you're throwing everything away. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, 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 that's why it, it, it's important to me to to do some digging. And if you realize that you're unhappy with something, to figure out precisely why it is that you're unhappy, because otherwise you'll never know what the real problem is. Yes. Uh, yeah, I definitely know the feeling of letting anger or frustration drive you to do sometimes rash things. Oh, yes. This this whole, uh, you know, getting getting the internet hooked up here in the new apartment had had something to do with that. The reason that it took so long is because every time I I approached the whole, oh, I should really, uh, you know, Call call Comcast, call Comcast, and you know talk to a customer service representative for an hour and get this you know get this whole get this service started and plugged in and wired up and get that satellite orbiting, uh, all of that. What, I don't know how that works. It's probably me I, neither. I, um, <laughs> fiber optic satellites. Mm, yep, fiber optic satellites. Uh, yeah, every time I tried to approach it, I just got so frustrated and so angry at how how long and how complicated every part of the process was that I just kind of threw it all down and quit. <laughs> <laughs> so that's As why it's taken about four days for me to get internet here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, so so maybe maybe this can be instructive, right? Maybe it's useful to to think about. So like you you kept throwing that process down because it was frustrating, right? right. Because it was making you angry. It was and it was making you angry because it was it was a roadblock in the way of of doing all kinds of internet related things that you need to do. Right, which is most things. Right, which is because the, yeah, because you, you're not you're not typically doing your blogging by by candlelight. Correct. In this second article here, the when to know when your painting is finished. After she says step back, the second thing she says is is be honest and be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she says it's easy to fall into the trap of seeing what we think we have painted rather than what we have actually painted, simply because we're so focused on what we're trying to achieve. We see success where we have failed and can perceive failure where there is none. Yeah. I, I thought that was that was a really in, insightful thing to say because easy to fall into the trap of seeing what we think we have painted rather than what we have actually painted. That's deep, I think. That's a deep thing. Like that you you're looking at what's in front of you and rather than seeing what's really there you're seeing what you would rather see you're seeing what you're seeing an imaginary image that reflects what you want to see right i've really only quit one job like in my in my in all of all of my years as 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 a grizzled old man hmm. this one job that i quit i you know i worked in um and i I, th- I think robin you know this you know i worked in in hotels for 6 years Mm-hmm. When I was trying to work my way through school, hang on, I gotta. <coughs> pardon me. Um, energy beverages are not not good for your uh, self. Correct. 
so yeah, so I was, you know, I was working in hotels for something like six years. Um, you know, I did it initially because I was working my way through school, right? I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, be able to make money while I was going to school and all that stuff. Right. And, and then I finished school and I kept doing it. I stayed in this hotel that I'd been at for five years because I had this kind of inertia, you know, um, an object at rest mm-hmm. will stay, it'll stay at rest. And I was definitely at rest because I was not being challenged. I wasn't being pushed forward. I wasn't being, you know, nothing really difficult was being demanded of me. I'd been made a manager and I had all, you know, I, I got to do the, you know, the, I want to see the manager. I am the manager. I got, that was, I got to do that, which was nice. But really, like, I wasn't being challenged in any significant way. I wasn't pushing myself forward in any significant way. And, and I, you know, after six years of doing this stuff, I was, I was miserable. Um, you know, and I, I had to recognize that as comfortable as I was, you know, I, I was do, I was using that, that line that you hear so often from people in creative fields where they say, Oh, well, you know, I'm just working this crap job that I hate because it gives me time to write, you know, right. that was what I was telling myself. Yeah. Um, and, and that's how I got through every day, um, was telling myself that this job that I hated was really just a, a pass to be able to do the work that I wanted to do. And, and it did work that way for a while, but really I was lying to myself. Really I wasn't being honest because if I was being honest, I would have recognized the damage that that job that I hated so much was having on my ability to create stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so burned out and I was so, so tired at the end of every day that I wasn't really capable of doing any work worthwhile because I was so frustrated and so tired and so burned out. So I had to quit eventually. Um, yeah. It's funny, actually. I wrote one, the very first resignation letter that I wrote, because I wrote two of them. You know how sometimes they tell you that thing, if you're going to write an angry email to somebody, write it first and don't send it, and then write mm-hmm. it again? That's what, that's, that's what I did. I wrote one letter of resignation, mm-hmm. and, and then I just saved it as a Google Doc. And then I went, and then I went over to Microsoft Word, and I wrote another uh, letter of resignation. Um, and it's funny because just the other day, as a matter of fact, I found it. I found the first one that I had written still saved in my <laughs> Google Docs. Uh, this was, this was, you know, s- seven years ago or something like that. And it's so like angry and self-righteous and, you know, um, there's like, oh, in all the time that I have been here, no one has, has put as much into the success of this place as I have. And it's, you know, it's all very ridiculous and full and, full. but to read it, I think, is a window into just how miserable I was, mm-hmm. you know, and just how completely unable to see how miserable I was, I was. I was completely oblivious to how unhappy I was being there, and all that unhappiness finally comes pouring out in this angry letter of resignation, you know, and, and all that, and so because of that, I must submit my resignation from this, from this company. <laughs> it only ever got to that point because I never stepped back. I was never honest with myself. I was never, I was never willing to admit how, how I was really feeling. And I was never willing to take an objective look at the effect this stuff was having on me, you know? Mm-hmm. Things left unturned will come and bite you in the butt. Right. I mean, That's it, uh, Confucius. It's, it's right. One of the other pieces here that you mentioned specifically as, as kind of sticking out to you um, in a way that that uh, you enjoyed was the advice for beginning poets. This third one here, yes, uh, from from uh, from McNair. Um, it, it's called On Craft. What's the name of the of the school? Where it's at here, uh, University of Maine, I think. Hmm. I think so. 
Yeah, by this guy Wesley McNair. And yeah, I I was really into this thing. I really in, enjoyed it. But I did. I but I didn't think that of all the stuff I sent, I didn't expect that that was going to be the one that you were going to like the most. What, what is really? it that you liked about? Yeah, I was. That was surprised that this one jumped out at you. Uh, I mean, first of all, this this advice to for for beginning poets is clearly a poem in and of itself. Uh, I mean, it's it's very long and it is kind of instructional in nature, but it's definitely a poem. Hmm. Uh, Partially, it's so it's so beautifully written. I don't know. It's it's so like here's advice from an old veteran of the trade, young man, <laughs> but without being very uh, I don't know pedagogical. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Okay. Um, or or uh, pedantic. That's the word I'm looking for. Ah, okay. Uh, without without being super pedantic, it's uh, it's very good natured, and it's also very good advice. I think, especially for somebody who, somebody like me, who you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily um, interested in becoming a a poet, but I am interested in writing, mm. and I think that a lot of the things he has to say are pretty interesting. Especially, I like when he starts talking about creative writing and how creative writing is a term uh, that was only pretty recently invented by American universities. And right. before it was just writing. Uh, you just wrote if you were a writer, and you didn't write if you weren't a writer. Richard Hugo talks about that too. And I'm reading his book, uh, The Triggering Town, right now. Which, by the way, if you enjoyed the Making Era essay, you got to the, the Triggering Town is so okay. good. It's super good. I'll, I'll put it in show notes because it's, it's it's amazing. Can you can you hear the the, the pages flipping here? This is the, it's, it's I'm literally. Oh, it whole, sounds good. Yeah, it's, doesn't it sound delicious? And yeah, and he talks about that in the book. It's a, it's a little it's a shorty. It's a little it's not it's barely a hundred pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just chock full of all this really rich and wonderful stuff. And yeah, that's one of the things that he talks about in, in the book is that the notion of creative writing as a sort of course of study and as something that, that can be taught in the university and learned by the student is really not only a recent thing, but really a very limited thing. You know, it's the kind of thing that's going to be producing a certain kind of writer. Um, and, and so in that sense, it's, it's very sort of constrained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he the advice that he gives and this is just one of one of my favorites i mean he he gives a few pieces of advice there at the end but uh, he says what writers really need to do is they need to go home and practice by being by themselves for long periods of time with pencil and paper that is how you become a writer right which is brilliant that's uh (laughs) <laughs> because I, I think that I've, you know, I've certainly kind of bought into the whole, um, I read a lot about writing, and I and have definitely thought about going to school for writing, um, but, at, you know, at the end of the day, writing is just a thing that you sit down and do. It's not, um, it's not mechanical engineering. Well, there's, there's that fantastic um, thing that Merlin Mann says in, I want to say, uh, I want to say what they call the inspiration episode of Back to Work, one of the early ones. Uh, yeah. Um, where he, he's, you know, he's talking about how how inspiration is such a silly idea. If you sit around waiting to be inspired, then you're wasting time. Because he says, you know, I write the most when I write the most, mm-hmm. and no, no, you know, no inspirational poster and no, no, no 
minimalistic desktop background and no uh no important book is going to change that it's all about whether or not you're you're writing i mean and i mean for me that's that's become sort of an accidental mission statement you know it's all about you know you're doing you're doing it when you're doing it you're, and when you're not doing it you're not doing it and you just you know and it, it, you might be building towards doing it in different ways you know you, if you're reading if you're reading a book like the triggering town by richard hugo it's fantastic lectures and essays on poetry and writing you might be you know uh, building towards being a better writer, and that's great. Yeah. Um, but don't read this book and pretend like it's making you a writer. You know, the, sure. Re- re- reading a book or or staring at an inspirational background with a Henry Miller quote on it is not going to make you a writer. <laughs> that's not how it works. You know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I do genuinely think that, and we've talked about this a little bit, that um, what you read, what you watch, what you listen to. Uh, is going to have a huge effect on what it is that you make. I think that's, you know, fairly undeniable. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> that being said, it's not um, – you can't go around just being inspired and then waiting <laughs> for the writing to happen. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, we always we always end up talking about writing. Have you noticed that? I Yeah, I don't know how that happens. Well, you know, the that's the funny thing is that – in the in the piece, you know, in the on craft piece, the McNair thing, mm-hmm. um, the reason that I I sent it your way to begin with, and the way that it it speaks to the the notion of you know of finishing, of moving on, and and quitting, is that this was almost sort of a devil's advocate perspective. You know, most of the stuff I'd been sending was in the positive, know when you're done, uh, you know, and this is how you know when you're finished. Whereas the the McNair thing, there's a line in there where he says. He says, it's the capacity to revise that determines the true writer. He says, you have to suspect the finished poem. Your evil twin wants your poem to be finished. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, so when when you think you're done, maybe you're not done. You know, if if you if you think you're done, you should suspect that feeling, you know. And I and I think that that doesn't necessarily negate what we were saying a couple minutes ago. I think the idea is that you ought to be critical you need to understand your own motivations. You need to understand why it is that you feel like you're ready to move on, you know, um, so that when you look at something you feel like is done, you can justify it to yourself and you can justify it in a way that, that that's defensible. You can justify it in a way that, that will satisfy more than just your evil twin that wants to call it quits because he's lazy. <laughs> yeah. I, you know and, I mean? you know, I think that one of the things, especially the two painting uh, articles that we looked at talked about was um, kind of getting at this idea that I don't think you ever truly feel that something you've made is done. Uh, you you kind of reach the point where either it's ripped out of your hands by whatever publisher, editor, you know, the helpful uh, <laughs> companion who says you need to, you know, put this work down because it's driving you crazy. Um, and uh, I, I do think that's very true. And when you do feel like something you're making is done, yeah, it's definitely time to suspect that feeling because, uh, I don't think it's in the nature of creative people to feel like anything they've made is done. I think that there's a certain level of dissatisfaction or, um, or, or feeling of unfinishedness that is kind of what makes them, you know, pick up the next piece later on in addition to the the skepticism that we ought to have of 
the sense that we're done, you know, we ought to be skeptical of it because because it's like we said, the the evil twin is lazy. You know, the evil twin wants to be done. Right. I don't know if you've seen Jason's video about the little hater. I'll drop this in the thing. Oh yes, um, I have seen that. It's so good because you know he's he's talking about um, you know Jason is this guy that makes videos for the internet. He has this video about what he calls the little hater, which is the little voice in your head that tells you you suck, that tells you you'll never do anything good. And I think that the little hater is the same guy that wants you to think that you're done before you are. You know, mm. I, I think he's the same guy that says quit now because that's as good as it's going to get. Right. And so I, I think that the you know the evil twin of the McNair piece and and the little and the little hater of Jay Smooth I think are very much the, the same character. Like uh, what's you know when 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 Dante's in in hell like the worst part of hell is in the middle you know cuz you're you're like you're far from the entrance you're far from the exit so you're 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 stuck in the middle and it sucks cuz it's like oh man this is right. this is as bad as it's going to get and that's you know so the only yeah. way the only way out of hell is through is where that comes from the only way out is through i think we ought to be willing to be skeptical of when we think we're done cuz maybe if we think we're done we're just going to be setting up camp in the middle of hell and build a case for the feeling that we have that we're done. Camp in the middle of hell is another good title there. Uh, camp in the middle of hell. Okay. <laughs> so we, I mean, we've touched on the McNair. We've touched on the piece from uh, from uh, artists and illustrators, and of course the the uh, the HuffPo thing. Daniel Grant calling a painting done. Um, w- was there was there anything that that has stuck out to you not only in these but in anything else that you might have you might have uh, been looking at lately that uh, that that had you thinking along these lines. Hmm. Hmm. P- perhaps a Zen Habits article. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I didn't know if that was a if that was a leading question or if it was genuine, but I guess it was just a leading <laughs> question. Uh, <laughs> well, actually, no, it, it 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 was genuine until I scrolled up and saw the Zen Habits article, and then there it was. Right, gotcha. Yes, yeah. There's this great Zen Habits article that, uh, if 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 you don't already follow Zen Habits, it's a pretty it's a pretty pretty cute little uh, kind of life and happiness and being your best self kind of blog. Uh, and this article is is called How to Change Your Life, a User's Guide. And um, I like it because it ties more more than just the topic of transition that we're talking about a lot, it kind of ties back into this topic of, of habit and habit forming that we kind of touched on last time with when we were talking about William James and neural pathways and everything. I think I just like saying neural pathways. It's talking about in this article how um, when when you try to make a change in your life, it's because there's this perceived difference between uh, what you are and what you want to be. Uh, and and so in that mindset, changing, especially he's talking here about changing your habits or changing your daily routines, um, making that small change is a step in the direction of becoming what it is that you want to be. And, uh, you know, the the question that he opens the article with is, um, start with a simple statement, what do you want to be? And then I think after that, the next question you have to ask yourself is, is this change going to help me become what it is that I want to be? And that, you know, before you 
before you embark on any endeavor that's like quitting a job or hiking the Andes or whatever, I think it really is worthwhile to ask yourself at least those two questions. Uh, is, you know, especially is this thing going to help make me what I want to be? Because otherwise, why do it? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, it, it, it lends very much to the idea of like kind of you are what it is that you do. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I kind of, uh, I kind of subscribe to that viewpoint at least. It's, it's very uh, so- Socratic. Is that is that a Socrates thing? Sure. Isn't it? Is isn't it? Uh, you you are what you do. Isn't that uh, Aristotle? One of, one of these guys. I thought it was. Mm. Uh, mm. Hmm. That sounds. That sounds like a- Socrates. A- a- Aristotelian. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm gonna, I'm sitting here googling, but I'm not going to find it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the, Google Google Aristotle, and that'll that'll help see what happens. <laughs> well, so I googled you, and it auto completed. You ain't no Picasso, which <laughs> 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 I'll take it. Um, That's good. You ain't no Picasso. That's a pretty decent blog, right? Yeah, it is pretty good. Um, well, there's a one of the other things that I, that I read this week. I I, I went and, I went and I raided the uh, the MLK library earlier this week, like like uh, like one of the Tuscan Raiders in Star Wars. Um, and when I, and I had the mask and I had the staff, I did the whole, dee, 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 dee. I did the whole thing. Um, and I <laughs> ran away from the library with like a, with literally like a dozen books. And they were like, can he, he actually had a, like, can he get this many books? Yeah, he's fine. So I, I walked out with literally a dozen books. Um, and one of the books I got was, uh, it's called on ending the poetic line. Um, mm. And I am also dropping uh, that bad boy in the show notes. Or I'm sorry, it's called Art of the Poetic Line is the name of the book. And there's a piece in the book specifically about ending the poetic line, about, you know, about knowing when to end the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, he, and he really does this deep dive and looks at all these case studies of, you know, poets like Emily Dickinson and, uh, and Frank O'Hara and, uh, and a number of others. The conclusion that he comes to after this deep, very, and very technical and very sort of invigorating and enlightening dive into the technique involved in, in a poetic line and creating a line of poetry, what he ends with, what he says is, what matters most is facing the dilemma of ending itself rather than one's particular solution. Mm. This connects right back to the notion of, of honesty and willing to take a step back and look, and look at the situation that you're really in, you know, is, Look at the objective situation, know exactly why it is that you feel like you're ready to move on so that your solution, whether you decide to end it or not, whether you decide to 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 rejigger and completely uh, start the poem fresh or, you know, take the painting in a different direction or just try to talk to your boss about why your job sucks and see if you can do it differently. Uh, you know, I think what matters most is recognizing that you're at a juncture where you need to consider these questions. You know, you're at a moment where you have to ask yourself where you're really at and whether or not it's time to move on. And whether you move on or not is sort of a side of the point. It's about asking yourself these questions so that you can figure out that you need to take a step in one direction or another, I think. Right. Yeah. And and so either way, you know, this moment of transition or this moment of kind of unhappiness with whatever situation you're in, I think is a really good position to ask yourself all these questions because 
you know, whether or not you do end up leaving that job or whatever it is, you're going to make some change if you're asking yourself all these questions because clearly you're, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about leaving whatever this is out of some dissatisfaction and then hopefully those questions can lead you to, you know, if not a solution, at least some kind of answers to why that is dissatisfying to you and what you can do to kind of make it less dissatisfying. Speaking of quitting, it may be time to maybe time to quit uh, quit the program here. I know that you also got got a haircut this week that was pretty drastic. Mm. Is 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 it gonna? Do you think it'll be all grown back by by next week? That was another one of those moments that my frustration and impatience kind of got the better of me, and I just said, ah, just cut it all off. It's not all off. I still have I still have hair, but just, just one. I just kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. It's short. It's real short. Yeah, There's little- not much there. Literally one hair. Literally very few hairs. <laughs> this, this, this was a good one, I think. I think we did all right. I think this was good. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think there was a little, uh, a little franticness involved what with the different time and, you know, shoddy internet connection and all that. Well, I had some, I had some caffeine that probably made me a little talkative. That helps. <laughs> it doesn't help. Okay, I'll have to. That's, that's what I was worried about. Next time I'll have two caffeines. As Merlin says, I either need you know way more or way less coffee. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm never sure what the right. Yeah. Uh, I got right a coffee maker, is. by the way. That's, oh yeah, that's the most exciting factor of my move-in uh, so, status. So right, right now it's literally you in a room with headphones and coffee. Pretty much. That's and that's it. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> well, see, that's what I'm talking about. That shows the kind of self-awareness. That shows the kind of objective <laughs> awareness of of your situation that that we all ought to have in in our uh, apartments and coffee. Yep. Uh, this has been a definite article on how to <laughs> drink more coffee and quit your apartment. <laughs> That's right. How to quit your apartment with with, <laughs> with Robin and Justin? Yeah, that's you know that's that's the dream. Isn't isn't it though? It sure is. I will see you next week. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, later, Justin.